Dons fans, Ian here. Welcome to our seventh bonus episode of Don the Stat. Tonight's guest is another person that I've had the pleasure of discovering from becoming more active with the Bombers community on Twitter. He's someone who's put together some really intriguing and thought-provoking ideas on where the Bombers are heading, and it will always back it up with pertinent statistical analysis. I've got him on tonight to share his thoughts about where the Dons are headed in season 2023. Anthony Prochillo, thanks for joining me on Don the Stat. Thanks, Ian. That's an awesome intro, mate. I'm wrapped to be on, to be honest. I'm a massive fan of you and Jono on Twitter and obviously what you guys do on the podcast. So, yeah, I'm wrapped to be on. Hopefully I've got something interesting to say and something for people to listen to. But, um, yeah, <laughs> you guys speak my language, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm wrapped to be on, mate. Thanks. That's right. Well, I wouldn't have um, promoted you to to my followers um, if if I wasn't uh, intrigued by what you do. And I think you still owe me a few. I think we determined it was a few hundred beers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a fair few slabs. You're right. Yeah, that's all right. We, we'll start with one. Um, firstly, how are you doing at the moment? Um, yeah, look, I've I've had major surgery, so in recovery mode. But I'm about sort of seven weeks into rehab from surgery. Um, it's a slow process and it's going to be a process for what I've been told the next 12 or 15 months. But, um, you know, Twitter's kept me busy. Footy, you know, off-season's kept me busy. It's kept me sane. Um, love my sports, Formula One, horse racing, taking it up. So, yeah, well, I'll get there in the end. It'll just be a, a while, that's all. Yeah. Well, look, good luck. I think we're all, we're all backing you in to get through it. And, yeah, um, if it means that you're going to spend more time uh, sharing your wisdom on Twitter uh, during your recovery phase, and I think the community is going to have a win um, from your recovery there. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to stay off Twitter while I'm medicated at night, mate. So it might. Oh, that, that that could be the funny stuff. That could be the gold. <laughs> That'll be the true me coming out. Yeah, that's it. Oh, look. Let's just start with some background on on you yourself, and then your support of Essen. We we always start these episodes with that sort of question. Yep. I guess it's like an AA meeting, mate. I'm, my name's Anthony and I'm a bomber's tragic. I'm a, you know, a lifelong Essen supporter. Um, you know, I grew up a couple of suburbs down from Essendon in Keeler East. Um, so, you know, Keeler East, Aberfeldy, Essendon. Um, so I used to go to Windy Hill almost every, every time they played. Also went to Western Oval a lot as well when I was younger. My um, dad's a Bulldog supporter, so... Unlucky or lucky for me, I'm not a bulldog supporter. I could have gone that way, but because I grew up through the through the eighties period, which was our successful period, um, you know, I, I felt like I was part of a big army at Windy Hill. Um, my uncle used to go with us to um to Windy Hill and then I had a younger cousin who also came along as well. So um yeah, I mean, like I said, I could have been a bulldog supporter, but um stuck fat with Essendon. Like I said, it was good in the early days, but um, hopefully we can get back to that soon. So. Yeah, think, fingers crossed. Well, I also could have been a, um, a Bulldog supporter. Uh, my aunt was trying very hard when I was six or seven to become a Bulldog supporter, but my dad supported the Dons is what uh, got me through there. Um, and also it didn't, didn't hurt that uh, 93 came around uh, right at that time. So that sort of locked it in, and, and here we are for better or worse, I guess. I think it's – yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the time where you actually – you know, where you're really interested in football. I've got two younger brothers. One of them's a Hawthorne supporter because he grew up through the later 80s um, when they were successful. And I've got another brother who's a kangaroo supporter because he grew up through that 90s era. So, you know, I, I said, I mean, you've had some good some good times through, you know, late 90s and early 2000. And 
I had a good period through the mid eighties and, you know, 93 and 2000 as well. Yeah. Look, everything comes around again. I'm sure, you know, before we're old and gray and in the nursing home, we'll have had success again. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look then, given given the time you grew up, what are the who are the players that have really stood out to you and, and stuck with you, particularly from that early age that you were really a fan of? Uh, hopefully your listeners are uh, a little bit older like my age, but Paul Vanderhaar has always been a favourite of mine. Um, you know, I used to sit on the Windy Hill far pocket, um, left-hand side of the, end, of the ground, and every time the football was up the other end, because I was so small, I couldn't see through the the crowd, you know, and it just looked like a big muddle of players up the other end. And then all of a sudden you would just see Vanderhaar just seemed like he was 100 feet in the air taking a screamer and the crowd would roar with it. So that sort of, you know, gave me tingles back then. And Simon Madden was the same, you know, when he used to be in the ruck, you just used to see him just be head and shoulders above everyone else. Paul Salmon was, you know, through that era as well. Um, again, just because he stood out at the other end of the ground to a six, seven, eight-year-old. Um, Timmy Watson was probably everyone's. I used to try and mimic his running style. Just seemed to always, you know, look like he was, I don't know, motoring along, always at, at sort of one speed. And I got a couple of other, you know, I reckon underrated players. Daisy Williams was um, just in and under and courageous. Um, he was always the last one to get up from the bottom of a, uh, you know, a stoppage. And it always looked like he was, you know, being beaten up and knocked around, but he always used to, you know, run up to the next contest as well. And Glenn Hawker, you know, he was a, he played in the real wingers era. You know, he used to go head to head with Dipper and Doug Hawkins. And, you know, they basically just used to control the wing in those days as well. Uh, Mark Harvey. Um, and then, I guess Darren Buick and Purdy and Wangadine probably more recent times as well. Yeah. What about um, some of the more modern players in, say, the last 10 years? Who who are the players that you enjoy watching? From uh, Joe mod- Watson. Yeah, Joe Watson, 100%. Like, I don't, I'm not sure that we've had a more courageous player in in that period of time, um, you know. Um, it's a different kind of courage, isn't it? You know, we, we often talk about Hurdy coming back from the facial injuries and, and still putting his body on the line, and that's a particular type of courage. But what Job sort of went through and yeah. the what he had to deal with, it's, it's a different kind of courage, as, as he sort of said there. Yeah, he, he he seemed like probably the most natural leader we've had since James Hurd. You know, that courage to even just you know, pick up the team week to week, you know, and, and lead them. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I guess moving on then, what are the moments that have stuck with you? Obviously, you, you talk about growing up through the 80s, so I'm sure the premierships feature pretty highly there. They do. Um, 93, I guess, is probably that whole that whole week of 1993, you know, the, the comeback, obviously, against Adelaide. And um, at the time, we were actually holidaying in Circus Paradise. So I actually had to watch it on TV, couldn't get to the ground and, you know, the disaster of the first half and, you know, I was 14 and I was just devastated that I thought, oh, we've made it this far and now we're not going to make it to the grand final. And obviously the second half was just a complete turnaround. And then, um, you know, the Brownlow on Monday, you know, going Wangani winning the Brownlow on Monday. Again, being in Queensland, there was no coverage <laughs> of the Brownlow on TV. And so I didn't know what the results were and I – Walked down to the newsagents to get the paper in the morning, the Herald Sun in the morning, and 
in Queensland. They didn't get the paper until like one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm sitting there waiting to find out who won the Brownlow. And then when I actually got the paper and saw him on the back, I was like, what? <laughs> really? Well, I was, yeah, knocked over. And then obviously, the you know, the grand final, I was still in surface paradise, you know, watching the grand final again on TV. But, yeah, that was that was probably, you know, the, the, the best week, I'll say, of football. Um, That's probably the major one. 2000 was, I don't know, the whole 2000 year just felt, I don't know, inevitable. You know, I, I don't think I've ever known like a sporting event or a footy season or a, you know, whatever it is, season where one team has just been so dominant that it was just, yeah, it was inevitable. Obviously, we lost to the Bulldogs that one game, which I'll never be able to live down with my dad. Um, <laughs> we'll bring that up every year we play the Bulldogs. Yeah, I, um, I've um i said this before, but uh, yeah. the first game I ever went to was in 2000 and it was that Bulldogs game. Yeah. So <laughs> I finally convinced my mum to take me. And yeah, it ended up being that game. So great, great start for me. <laughs> yeah, could have turned. Um, but no, that that whole year was I don't know just something that I don't think we'll ever experience again anyway. But just knowing that every week they were just going to turn up. Um, I you know I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those nervous supporters, and I can get you know be angry watching at the time. But just that year, no, nah, didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I think we'd all like to go back to that. That feeling where we weren't that worried about what kind of Essendon was going to turn up. Uh, look, any interesting or funny stories you've got from supporting Essendon? Any interesting interactions in the crowd or things along those lines? Um, probably the uh, there's a couple of funny ones, I guess, that come to mind. 1989 is probably um, we won. I think we finished second on the ladder that year behind Hawthorne in '89, and we played. We played Geelong in the first uh, final, which I think would have been a semi-final, and we we played them at the G, and we ended up winning by like twelve goals, twelve goals plus. I think it was like seventy plus points that they came, and then we went on to play Hawthorne the following week, and and we lost to Hawthorne. They were they were probably the, ultimately the best team that year anyway, um, and we lost by about five or six goals, and then we had to, and Geelong then beat Melbourne that same week, so then we actually had to play Geelong again. In the prelim, and you know, I grew up in Keeler East, and we played at Waverley for some reason. I can't really get why we played at Waverley, and that drive just felt like a two-hour drive to get to Waverley. Um, and we didn't have any tickets. It was just Dad and I. We didn't have any tickets, but those were the days where it was easy to scalp tickets out the front. It was, you know, and so I remember rocking up to the ground, scalping tickets, getting in, being all excited. Beat Geelong by 12 goals last time we met them two weeks ago and by half time we were about 12 goals down. <laughs> and I was just devastated. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, oh, we'll wait till the first few goals of the, you know, the um, the third quarter and see if there's a slow comeback. And they kick like five in about five minutes. And I was like, yeah, no, nah, we're going. <laughs> so we've done this massive drive to get out to Waverley, scalped tickets on the day, so paid overs for the tickets, you know. Um, and then basically, you know, gone home crying <laughs> just after half time. So I, I, I'm trying to remember what happened in between those, that first final and that and that prelim that was a what 24 goal turnaround because I didn't actually they beat us by close to 100 points. So yeah, I, that's probably one of the stranger ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> another one would be I used to 
I used to work at my uncle and auntie's fruit shop. I had a fruit shop in Essendon, Mount Alexander at Essendon, and I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 8, 9, getting paid five bucks a day for stacking apples and onions. Mm-hmm. Um, and two doors down was a newsagent. And the newsagent, here's a name drop for you, if you if you remember, um, it was actually owned by Ian Robertson. Ian Robertson used to call the footy on Channel 7. They called the, um, the 93 grand final, and he used to own that. And, you know, I used to... He used to look after me when I used to go in there and let me just look at the books and the magazines and waste time. And there was a small little pocket book that I saw when it had Timmy Watson on the front cover and it was called Football Champion. I was like, oh, wow, I've got to get this book. You know, I love Timmy Watson. And I looked at the price and it was $7.95. I was like, oh, Devo, I've got to do another I've got to do another day's work to get the extra five bucks to pay for it. and. Finally bought the book the next day and got it home and was really excited to read it. You know, Timmy Watson, footy champion. I thought, oh, it's going to be a story all about Timmy Watson. I opened up the first few pages and it's it's all about, you know, the history of the game, you know, stats on, you know, who kicked the most goals and who's taken the most marks in a game and, you know, the dimensions of the footy field and all these different, you know, stats and information. I've gone back to look on the front cover on it. And I've actually seen it's actually not called Football Champion. It's called Football Companion. <laughs> just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just saw Timmy Watson and just thought Footy Champion. That's what it's called. I've got to have this book. And um, it's actually a great book. And I've, I've tried to look for it <laughs> a few times when I've gone back to my parents. But yeah, it's lost now. But yeah. <laughs> that's probably one of the more, you know, don't judge a book by its cover stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of my questions coming up is uh, what made you interested in the stats side of the game? And I think that sounds like the origin story of that part. Yeah, You know what? I'd have to agree with that. Seriously, it was such, yeah, I said the information in there was just brilliant. And since then, you know, I always kept an eye out on that, on that little info. You're right. Yeah. Well, look, before we start getting on to Essendon today and, and some of the work you're doing on Twitter, the final question I've got before we move on to that is what is your unpopular Essendon opinion about the past or the present? What is one that might get your membership rescinded? Uh, look, no, I'll say it's unpopular for a good thing, I think, actually. I'd probably say it's probably more – it'd be more present. Um, I, Well, it might not even be unpopular, I think. Um, I reckon our list this year is probably our best list we've had since that successful 99, 98, 2000, 2001 era. So I'm not sure if that's really that going to be that unpopular, but I think in between – today and when we started to lose players through that area for salary caps, I don't actually think we've had as good a profile of players since then, mm. in all honesty. You know, high draft picks, I think we've got 10, including Heppel, inside the top 10. You know, I know it's all potential, but, yeah, I'd say that's probably the uh, – yeah, I don't think that's an unpopular one anyway. <laughs> Well, it's not something a lot of people talk about. I mean, I think in the media, I think Jordan Lewis come out and say how talented he thinks the Essendon list is and a couple other people are the same with that. But I don't think, I think also people are a bit, you know, frustrated that talent is an equaling performance at this stage. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah look, so look, let's, let's start with the beginning of, of last year. What were your ex- expectations going into 2022? Obviously coming off a... Elimination final loss, but the first year of Rutten seemed to have gone well. What were your thoughts going into 2022? And then um, 
yeah, what were your thoughts going into 2022? Um, I, I was worried, in all honesty. Um, it probably goes back to, yeah, the end of 2021. I know that we got the wins on the board, but I was more worried about how those wins were coming more than anything else. So, um, you know, I looked at the strengths and weaknesses at, at the end of 2021 and um, I thought that we were very talent-based and we won majority of our games on efficiency whether that was we were more efficient than the opposition or the opposition was less efficient than us. You know, the, the Bulldogs game was probably one game that we really should have lost, um, that we won. But it was probably, like I said, it was probably more about how we played. I I really didn't hear anything over the 2022 <laughs> I didn't hear anything over the 2022 preseason that got me excited about a defensive game plan in any way. So, um, you know, I think all of our majority of our wins were, in 2021 were talent based, and I think it really needed to be more set up and, and structure based. That really, um, that really mattered. Yeah. So I guess then, obviously, given uh, last year sort of took a hard right into the gutter. Uh, what did you end up taking out of that year, um, either players-wise or or list-wise? Uh, probably how good we were, really, with with the ball in hand. Um, I was really surprised, actually, how efficient we really were, especially putting it on the board. You know, in in twenty twenty one, we I think we were the sixth most inside fifties in the comp. You know, the the third least amount of turnovers. Uh, Seventh most marks inside 50, you know, the fifth most shots at goal and the third most goals from inside 50. So really everything with ball in hand like, looked really, really good. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. I, I sort of got a picture of it watching it visually, but then when I went through the stats and the, and the data and chased it up, yeah, it was really more how well we were with ball in hand. And I think it also showed what everyone had been crying out for, that Darcy Parrish just needed more airtime in the middle, mm-hmm. really. I, I know that Stringer was really influential that year, but he's showing that he could do that. Mm-hmm. And same with Merritt. Merritt was, you know, deserving of his All-Australian. He was consistent and has been really since he's been there, but it was probably more Darcy Parrish that that really sort of stood up. So, yeah. yeah. And what about last year then in terms of, obviously, the season not right um, – panning out as everyone expected how what did you take away from that year despite the obviously really poor ending and and outcomes there same setup mate again just ball in hand really efficient with ball in hand you know taking um taking it inside 50 and putting it on the board was probably the biggest thing it was more the parts that i will probably get to is more that what we didn't do in 21 and 22 that that were the problems um but again it was more of the same of just being efficient going forward. Well, as 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 we know, like it it does seem to be the issue that the defensive side is the one that needs to be worked on. And as you sort of suggested, we've got a talented list that, that know how to use the ball and know how to find the goals. It's a matter of whether they can do that while also being a good defensive unit. And if they can put that together, then you know you, you're going to be rocketing up the ladder with that. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm happy for them to to not be as efficient going forward and sacrifice that side of it to be able to be better defensively. Um, you know, the last 
two years, 21 and 22, 15th for intercept possessions in both years. So even though we, we got the wins on the board in 21 um, and we didn't get them in 22, nothing changed in intercepting the ball. And and again, in 21, I think we were we were 12th for intercept marks and in 22, we're 13th. So those, those stats sort of line up against each other. In the end, 10th for tackles in 21 and 17th for tackles in 22. And a 12th for pressure in 21, 18th for pressure in 22, and 15th for causing a turnover to the opposition in both years again as well. So I think, like I said, the, I think the efficiency of 21 in putting it on the board and the talent that stood up in that year that obviously didn't stand up in 22, yeah, I think the wins in 21 sort of painted over the cracks that were there defensively. Mm. Yeah, and obviously they couldn't address that with the with the game plan they they tried to implement. And I think that corresponds a bit to the pressure. They they spent too much time focused on trying to play a game plan that they didn't understand, as opposed to some basic football things like pressuring and and tackling and the like. There. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think they concentrated again on what they could do with the ball rather than what they could do without it. In the end. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to talk a little bit more about the stats that you, you're focused on for the year ahead. But before we get to that, I just want your opinion. What what stat do you think is the most underrated by football fans or general football fans? And what do you think the one is that people pay too much attention to? <laughs> um, I guess, the, again, I'll keep saying it. It's without the football is probably the most underrated stat. I think we get lost in putting it on the scoreboard and how many possessions and inside 50s. I think it's actually more the opposite of, you know, what you can hold the opposition to. So um, it would probably be things like, um, like I said, defending without the football, pressure, tackling, stopping ball movement, intercepting marks, intercepting um, possessions when the other team has the ball. So they're probably the biggest underrated ones. I'd say don't get lost in we've had 400 possessions and we've kicked, you know, 20 goals and this guy's had 35 touches, I think it'd probably look at the other side of it and what we've been able to stop from the opposition. You know, the the, the Brisbane game last year is a good pointer that, you know, Lockie Neal, we were able to nullify Lockie, uh, Lockie Neal. So um, they're probably the one of the big underrated ones that we should be looking more at. Overrated? There's too many, mate. <laughs> Possessions, um, metres gained, you know, marks... I guess overrated ones are mainly the ones with ball in hand. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. And as as you sort of said, if we're trying to take a more defensive approach, we should be focusing more on those defensive stats going into this year. So I guess before we get into the specific stats that you're looking at, just in general, what do you think the key areas on field that need to be addressed by the coaching team? Obviously, you mentioned the the, the defence, what particular aspects of the defense do you think needs to improve? And no. you can say you can just say all of it. Um, <laughs> I'll accept that answer. Uh, look, uh, pressure. You know, pressure really is then about winning the ball back. So I, I think I just think we need to be better around stoppages. That doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to be a strong stoppage or or contest or clearance team, but it's that outside layer. Um, of pressure that you can create. I had a look at Collingwood at the end of last year um, to see where they stood because they're actually not a strong 
contested or clearance team. They actually line up pretty similar to us. You know, they're 14th for contested possession and they're 12th for stoppage clearances, but mm. number one for intercept possession. You know, they're second for intercept marks, they're third for tackles, and they're second, you know, for pressure in mm. creating a turnover to yeah. the opposition. Um, well, so- it was interesting, sorry. It was interesting with the second Collingwood game last year. I think we all remember the first quarter where we we just couldn't put a score on the board and Collingwood, I think Collingwood kicked four or five goals unanswered in that first quarter. It was all, all came down to the fact that Essen was winning every single centre clearance, but then it was kicking and, and Darcy Moore or Maynard or one of those other players was was intercepting it and then they were able to move the ball um, easily down the, down the forward line. It wasn't until they worked out how to get around those intercepting players that their centre clearance dominance uh, was starting to pay off and obviously got ahead and then we don't talk about the end of that game. Yeah, uh, that's actually a game on my ratings that we should have won. Um, and, mm. But anyway, we won't get to, like I said, we won't get into that one. But yeah, I guess they 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 didn't have a problem in losing first touch on the ball, but they relied on their pressure around that, and again to win it back, and then obviously to to move it quickly from there. So yeah, I, I guess I took Collingwood as an example of you don't need to be strong with the ball in hand, you don't need to be strong at periods of contest, but it's that extra layer outside that behind the ball that um, that really needs to be addressed by us. You know, I'll keep saying the same thing defensively, but you can't, we just can't continue to go and play basketball football. We just can't go out and continue to get into shootouts in teams and, and play on efficiency and, and play on talent. Now that talent doesn't perform that day or that month or that year. Um, yeah. We just can't rely upon that to be able to finish eighth, ninth, and tenth. I think we need the the better setup, not just defensively, um, you know, def- defensive fifty, but also you know forward fifty, um, midfield defensive structures. Um, I think with a better setup and a more balanced structure um, ahead of the ball as well, it'll help defensively, and I, I reckon that'll elevate us to get to that eighth, ninth sort of position that that one maybe just inside the eight and then have the talent lift us to that next level to be able to get us to win finals. Yeah, well, that's what we're all hoping to see and then push for the premiership, obviously. All right, well, look, as as I said at the intro, the the key thing that I take away from what you do on Twitter is your knowledge of stats and your ability to put them into context in terms of why they're important. So we're going to go through a few stats here, and a lot of them are going to be uh, defensively minded stats. Uh, how you're tracking, what you're tracking that, what sort of, you know, metric you'd, you'd want to see there. So um, let's start with defending one on one. So how do you, what, explain what that stat measures and then what you're looking for in terms of a, a good result? Look, I guess the one on one part is that when you look at the stronger teams, they obviously, have their defenders left um, on an island one-on-one with the opposition forward less than what we do. Um, you know, we're, I think we're one of the worst teams um, at winning a one-on-one. So we're actually losing, I think actually, with, yeah, the worst team at winning a defensive one-on-one and we have the fourth most defensive one-on-ones. Mm. So that number just needs to even up. That just means that I want to see players either push back harder, mm. Have a have an extra behind the ball, um, you know, just to be able to make sure that we're not left with Laverde one on one against a 
a bigger opponent, which most of the times it will be. And, you know, it'll allow hopefully Ridley to be able to intercept more and take the ball off the opposition when they go forward. Yeah. Well, I, that, a lot of that comes down to that defensive setup, really. It's all about you, teams generate one-on-ones in their forward line when they go quick. And if you, you can't slow them down, you're going to end up having to deal with more of those one-on-one situations. So if you're able to slow them down, and I think we saw a little bit of that uh, on the weekend against St Kilda, and the result wasn't whatever I wanted, but there was a lot of positives in terms of restricting their movement from the back line um, to prevent them from having those quick breaks that led to those one-on-one. So hopefully that's something that will carry through into the regular season. That's right. Yeah. Well, moving on again, one of those without the ball stats along the lines of the, the intercepting and creating turnover. So I'm packaging opposition turnovers, intercept possessions and intercept marks in there together. What sort of, where has Essendon been in that? You sort of, I think you sort of brought it up earlier, but just remind us. And what do you want to see from that? What sort of mark would you want to see us hitting in, in those areas? Yeah, so I guess if I look at it now, we're the fourth worst at tackles inside 50. So I guess it's starting in our forward half, you know, um, balls in the opposition hands. And again, we can't take it off them or we can't pressure them. So fourth worst for tackles inside 50. We're actually the worst team in the whole comp at pressure inside 50. So I think, I guess those two, you know, go hand in hand. And we're the seventh worst for rebound 50s. So... Again, uh, stopping the opposition rebounding the ball from our forward half the other way as well. Um, you know, the, then the third worst at opposition marking inside fifty. So again, the ball the ball starts in the opposition hands in our forward fifty, and in the end, they make it to their inside fifty um, too easily. And then second worst at scoring shots per opposition inside fifty. So once it gets in there, once they get it in there. Um, they're putting it on the board against us. Um, so once the opposition has the ball in the hand, we really can't get it off them in the end. Yeah, so it's about creating those those intercepts. And I guess it does come down to that defensive structure and setup to release players like a Ridley or a Redmond can play that role. And I think we saw on the weekend, McGrath had quite a few intercept marks uh, in that role. Obviously, I don't think he's a complete package in that halfback role quite yet, but it seemed like he got the intercepting part of that that role down pat, well, not down pat, but he's on the right track with that aspect there. So hopefully his addition there and slowing down of the play uh, will lead to more opportunities for those intercept marks and intercept possessions. Yeah, and, and I think we've seen in the first two weeks that we've seen Ridley go up, third man up, and and be able to, you know, punch it through for a point or just become an extra and just make sure that his teammates not left one-on-one. So I think we're starting to see that side of it, certainly in the first two games. And that's just also because of that that midfield and, you know, hopefully we get to it, the, the forward pressure of the small forwards. It's just slowing down the opposition, just allowing us to be able to get back into the into into the proper spots and, um, you know, allow uh, extra pressure behind the ball. Yeah. Um, let's talk, let's talk pressure. Uh, in the last bonus episode, we had, uh, Liam on and he, I think explained the pressure, uh, chart really well, but much better than Fox footy does whenever they put their pressure gauge up and it's just like, Ooh, that's high or oh, that's really low. Like you don't really get any context there. Um, so pressure is obviously all those different pressure acts, you know, uh, tackle, obviously tackling, but then also 
putting uh, going up in, into players' faces as they're trying to dispose of the ball or getting you know getting body on body there. What what do you what do you see pressure as demonstrating from a team, and what are you wanting to see from Essendon in twenty twenty three? I just want to see more players around the ball where the ball is at to start with. Um, that's probably the biggest one. I'd, I'd like the midfield to be saturated with players. Um, us having more actually at the call face rather than just rolling back all the time. Like you said, I'll, I'll keep saying it defensively, but I think having more players <clears throat> where the ball is at will allow us to be able to just drop one off. Um, and that hopefully should let us then win um, or, or even if we lose, I guess, the clearance to be able to then get to um, you know, get to the next stoppage and get to the next clearance with a bunch of players, with a group of players, again, rather than be left with a big space with two-on-two two or on, and three-on-three. Three. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather see six or seven of us be able to get back there. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be paying really close attention to that, to that pressure stat too. I think it'll tell us a lot about how willing they are to, to get their hands dirty and, you know, maybe sacrifice that attacking game to put put more of that defensive defensive edge on. Yeah, one 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 role that's been really good to see, you know, I you know, I posted about it a while back on Twitter when I again looked at some of the opposition and, and their their players that they set up with week to week and it looks like we've sort of cottoned onto it and it probably also means that we've we've actually found some players that can play that role is um, you know, the three small forwards at least. On the field at, at one time, you know, um, you know that's almost like the first layer of of defence for us being able to, mm. you know, pressure inside fifty and and a ground ball inside fifty and inside fifty tackles. You know, I reckon they've got that balance right now of having three smalls, whatever the mixture is. You know, um, Waller and Wanganin and Menzi, Snelling, Davy, uh, Guelfi. I, I reckon. Three small forwards constantly hovering in that in that forward half of the ground um, will make a big difference to us. You know, I, I looked up at the time. I looked up some of the better teams and how many of those better teams <clears throat> they've got players ranked inside the top twenty-five for small, medium forwards, and it's it's always the the top end teams that that are at the top there. You know, Geelong. I've got four players inside the top 25 for inside 50s. You know, Freo and Melbourne have got three and two and, you know, ground balls inside 50. Sydney, Geelong and Melbourne, again, have got three players inside the top 25. Goal assists, shot at goals. Those teams um, are obviously, you know, successful because of that. Um, you know, Freo was a big turnaround for me this year and it really came on the back of, having three and four small forwards that were sort of, you know, ranked number one um, in score involvements and, you know, number one in pressure and, and in one percenters. So um, I'm happy to to see that they've gone that way. Yeah, I think it's already showed a little bit. Uh, John, I brought up on our last pod uh, after the St Kilda game that simply having Waller in the forward 50 on opposition kickouts meant that when they took that short kick, into the pocket, he was able to get over there quickly and put pressure on so they couldn't move it on quickly. And then that allows the rest of the team to do the setup and that slows the play down and prevents that sort of coast-to-coast goal that we were often seeing last year. Absolutely. That's right. I, it's just, it's also, I guess, being 
being dangerous to the opposition backmen. You know, they've always got to you know be accountable to a to a genuine danger that that's got leg speed, um, that's willing to and fit enough to be able to run up the ground and and hopefully get lost in transition the other way. You know, and that also helps out the, the teammates that are with him as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, so look, I'll, I'll be definitely paying close attention to all those those stats there, particularly the defensive side ones. As you say, that's where the improvement needs to come from. Is that your main area of improvement for Essendon in 2023 or do you think there's some other just general areas that you think improvement is going to come based on what you've seen so far? Now, honestly, it'll be it'll be the defensive side of the game. Like I said, all over all over the park, forward, midfield, and defending. And I actually think that um, it'll actually help in attacking at, at the same time as well. Yeah, so I guess just sort of wrapping up what we've spoken about tonight, are you overall feeling positive or pessimistic going into 2023 as an Essendon fan? Uh, mate, to be honest with you, I'm normally a positive person. And I'm going to be positive this year in comparison to last year was the first time in a while that I really didn't feel confident of what we were going to show in 22. But honestly, like I said before, I reckon it's a very talented list. You know, like I said, 10 or, or 10 top 10 picks. So I think the, the potential is actually there. And I, when I do my ratings at the end of the year, I, I sort of rate every team really. And then I rated our players individually and really – um, you know, I've got five players who have rated year on year higher and higher. Right, Draper, Redmond, Caldwell, Durham. Um, and then I've got nine players with potential of rating it higher, you know, every year. Zerk, Perkins, Guelphie, D'Ambrosio, Martin, Hobbs, Jones, Reed, Cox. These guys really don't have a ceiling yet. Um, and I've really only got four, and if you don't want me to name them, I won't, um, that, that are really... Um, I reckon we've seen their ceiling and they haven't been able to <clears throat> get back to the original rating. So I guess I'm I'm positive. I I look at this year and everything that's come out from the coaches is, I guess I'll say it in horse racing terms. <laughs> um, it's like we've got this great crop of young colts um, that have shown potential, um, let's say, off the track. We just haven't had the right trainer you know, coach and coaching group and philosophies to be able to get the best out of them. But everything I've heard over the off-season and pre-season about setup and structure, I'm excited about because I know long-term um, it's going to make a difference. Long-term, I don't, you know, I've only banked max maybe eight or nine wins for us this year, um, but I reckon there'll be an improvement in percentage. That's where I reckon the, the bigger improvement will come. So, um, and then obviously bullish into into twenty four and, and twenty five to build yeah. off that. Well, I often say that that's the early sign that a team's improving. You know, they may not get the wins on the board, but their percentage uh, goes up. I think that's what if you think back to Brisbane before they started to get you know, be consistently top four when they were coming off such a low base. It was that year they had where they you know they didn't win a lot of games. The percentage was around ninety percent. And you could sort of see that they were developing and they were just losing a few close ones and there. So hopefully, you know, even if we don't get a lot of wins, we do get that positive sign in terms of percentage that would indicate that we're on the right track. Uh, spot on, mate. Exactly. Well, look, thanks again for joining me tonight. It's been great getting your insights and I look forward to seeing the work that you do over the coming year. 
Uh, just to let people know, where can they find you and the work you're doing? Uh, look, I'm mainly on Twitter. Um, I don't really do any other socials. I am a little bit late to Twitter, but um, yeah, on Twitter is where you'll find me. It'll mainly be centered around Essendon. <laughs> um, you know, there's AFL stats. I do look at the other teams as well. So I do, you know, track what the other guys are doing at the same time. There's a bit of Formula One in there. There's a little bit of horse racing because they're my other sort of passions. But, you know, if you really want to hear about, you know, week to week what S- what I think Essendon should be doing and, and you know, keeping up to date with maybe some obscure info and, and stats on, on Essendon and other AFL teams, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Hit me up. I guess you can only like me or don't hit like. You can't hit a dislike on Twitter, so... <laughs> Not yet. We'll see what Musk brings in. But, you know, I'll, I'll be watching of great interest. I've really, as I said at the start, I've really enjoyed the work you've done and the talks and, and the conversations we've had uh, on Twitter have been really good. And it's really a pleasure to meet you tonight. And I'm really grateful uh, for your time tonight. Thanks, Ian, mate. Go Dons. Go Dons. Well, that's it for tonight's bonus episode. Patrons at the $3 tier receive these episodes a week before they go out in the general feed. That's if I schedule it correctly, which I didn't do last time, but I promise I've done it right this time. So if you're interested in receiving that perk or would just like to support the show, you can do so at our Patreon page, which you'll find linked in the show notes. I'll also link to Anth's Twitter profile so you can get to that quickly. Other than that, I hope you're as excited as I am for season 2023. When this comes out in the main feed, it'll be game week. So, Again, go Dons.